This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following episode was recorded before the WGA SAG-AFTRA strikes of 2023. Most people have a memory of 9-11 and where they were. I was in New York being a New Yorker and immediately went first to my daughter's school And I was, I think, one of the first dads or maybe the first parent that showed up at school. And when they told Sosie that I was there to pick her up, the look on her face was one of confusion. And even from a kid so young, uh, probably six or seven, she knew that something was amiss. Having to explain that to a little kid was pretty emotional to say the least. There's a lot of things that that generation has experienced that can really take a toll on a child's mental health. And Alex Daddario, who is our guest today, actually was in school with my daughter at that very time. So it's kind of a good segue because now she is well out of school and focused on organizations that are giving our kids tools that they need to check in with their mental health. So lean in, listen up. I'm glad you're here. Here we are with Alexandra Daddario. You know, we do this silly thing, uh, this uh, dumb game that started many years ago called The Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon that doesn't seem to be uh, going away. So one of the it's things sometimes... It's not dumb. It's so cool. <laughs> one of the things that we sometimes uh, kick off with is is seeing if there are any connections. But 
you know, I did a little research, um, and you and I have connections that you may not even know about. Oh, really? Uh, oh, I'm well, first, excited. First off, the basic six degrees connection is uh, Logan Lerman. Yes. Who uh, I was in a movie with uh, called My One and Only. Yes. And I think the one and only person that saw the movie realized that we had that connection. But, um, and, but so that's a, that's an easy, you know, uh, that's an easy jump. But, I think you also worked with Jake Abel. Is that possible? Uh, okay. What who was also what, in the, it's, I'm not sure because we used to play this game, the six degrees of Kevin no, Bacon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh when it God. was, when it first sort of, there was like a, you could type in someone's name. There uh -huh. was an, I think it was on IMDb or something. There was some program and you could, it would give you the six degrees. You didn't even have to look it up. Yeah. Well, they have that, they have a thing now on IMDb where you can put connections in. And I use that all the time because, you know, having been around as long as I have, if I go to work, let's say uh, doing a television series and, and, and I look on the call sheet and there's, you know, a whole bunch of names there, you know, I've met so many people that sometimes I just space out whether or not I, I know them. So I'll actually go on before on my way to work and check and see so that I can say to someone, but I don't have to say nice to meet you. And then they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we actually met. Uh, yeah. uh, so, so, you know, that, that act, and you know, this whole six degrees.org thing and, and what we're, you know, doing here with this podcast really is about, um, Connections. I mean, I do think that if you, you take me out of the game, that it really is an interesting kind of idea that people really are, first off, that we are connected, and second off, that, that we're really hungry for those connections. Yeah. And so speaking of which, um, my, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you went to Brearley. Yes. Okay. My mother-in-law, my wife, and my daughter all went to Brearley. Um, I have a crazy story about this. Oh, okay. So you knew that maybe. Well, so when I was little at Brearley, because I'm a little bit older than your daughter, mm -hmm. um, you came to tour the school. Uh-huh. And I was so young. Must have been like, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something. But everyone started screaming about how this guy, Kevin Bacon, was at the school. And a bunch of us started running around, leaving class and running around the stairwells, I think. Wow. And you know, that really surprises me. The next, well, the next day, there was a big assembly held about how we needed to not do that and how it was <laughs> not okay. Wow. Um, it was what a buzzkill. Like, what a buzzkill. Well, it wasn't like, I think it was like, look, there's a movie star coming to the school and someone got really excited and then other people got excited, a little bit of mob mentality. Mm -hmm. um, but I do remember that there was sort of a talk about it the next day. So I That's, did know that your daughter went to the school. I can't wait to tell that story to both my mother-in-law and my wife and my daughter. I think they will all get a big, big kick out of it. So, so you never knew that. But, I uh, know, no, of course, no. I never knew. Ah. That. I never knew that, and I didn't. I didn't until I until I looked at your Wikipedia page. Frankly, I didn't know that you had gone. Um, right. But I really do. Uh, uh, 
admire your work. I think you're absolutely fantastic. I'm, Thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm, I'm so thrilled with uh, the success that you've been having um i mean you've been you've been at it for a long time but you went to pcs after brearley so you must have started acting i'm guessing um yeah. at a pretty young age i booked a soap opera and brearley i think was not i think that it, it was it wouldn't have worked to go and miss that much school so pcs wow. so i transferred to pcs and it was really very easy i just How sort of called you? them i was 16 so i went That's in exactly what happened to my wife Exactly. Really? What, she booked a soap opera when she was 16. Although she didn't leave school. She didn't go to PCS, but she had exactly the same, the exact same thing. 16, had to figure something out with school. So how did she, what did she end up doing for school? Just cut school for, you know. Yeah. She just went miss school. I don't know. But I don't really know. I should have done that. I don't know. But how was that PCS? But, uh, but for, for people that don't know, that's a, uh, well, you can describe it, please. Well, it's short for professional children's school. So it's a school for kids who are working. So the majority of people are actually ballet dancers from the American School of Ballet or oh, otherwise. Okay. And so there was a lot of that. There was some professional athletes, but it's people who can't be in school regularly, but you can still graduate, you know, on a normal schedule. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of when I was there and I don't know, I'm getting older. So this was a long time ago, but it when I was there, it was a little bit what you made of it. Um, mm. but they had a guided study program. So you could not attend school at all. And as long as you turned in these assignments, um, you'd graduate on time. So that's what I ended up doing. Well, wow. That's a whole nother connection, by the way. I'm just, I can't believe this, but you know, I started out on soaps. Um, yeah. which, which one were you on? All my children. All my children. Okay. Susan Lucci. Uh-huh, right, right. Were you related to Susan Lucy's character? No, I was J.R. Chandler's <laughs> girlfriend. No, I J. R. wasn't. J.R. Chandler's I... girlfriend, okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is J.R. Chandler the name of the character or the name of the actor? The name of the character, and in All My Children, the Chandler family was like a huge family. Like They were uh, like the rich, you know, and all kinds of chaos happened with them. But I sort of came in as an ancillary character that they ended up um, keeping on for a year. Now, I don't know if this was your experience with the soaps, but I found that people, it was my first little taste of like being recognized, you know, being like a public personality. But the difference was that everyone knew me as Tim. Like they, they would come up right. to me and they, they, they would not accept that I had another name and that I was an actor. And I was playing Tim, the teenage alcoholic. So people would come up to me and say, listen, Tim, you got to slow down with the drinking. You're making, you're upsetting Tim your mother. Tim, the teenage alcoholic. <laughs> um, I think Were you that a was trouble a girl bit... on the soap? Were you a trouble? Did you have, I mean, who, who doesn't have trouble on a soap? That's right. But yeah, no, I was like the good, I was a good girl who just wanted to go to school, but my father was an alcoholic and he wanted me to leave school or something. I'm trying to remember incorrectly. And he didn't want me dating J.R. Chandler because he was rich and they were too fancy. And and I needed to stay with him and, you know, live life the way that he wanted me to live it. Um, 
Your father's name wasn't Tim. Tim, by any chance, was it? No. Because uh, maybe I, I so maybe there was a a, a multiverse. There was a multiverse of all my children in the guiding light. The guiding. <laughs> I was going to ask which soap were you on? The guiding yeah, the light. guiding light. I was also on. Uh, I the first soap I did was called Search for Tomorrow, which ended up. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't exist anymore. I don't think. But but uh, that was. I just did like a summer arc um uh, on on that let me ask you you people have always said to me and i'm wondering what your response to this is that it was great it's great it's a great great training ground did you feel that way yeah i mean i i think i had all of what it took to be a good actor i mean i'm still acting so but i wasn't very good and i think a lot of that came from nerves and really just not knowing but i also was quite shy so there's also the element of going into work every day and working with people older than you and and Mm -hmm. um so that's helpful but yeah i didn't know how to hit a mark or Mm -hmm. kiss a boy on screen or um find my light or where the camera was any of that so um and it helps you learn how to memorize lines that was like that's what every actor did was well professional basic professionalism right you know i mean just that you had to be there you had to be there at a certain time you had to know your lines you had to you know but yeah it it does definitely yeah it's funny you say the kissing the boy because when i was on uh uh uh, search for tomorrow uh i was i was a little bit older but i was playing younger and uh i was way past the uh first kiss portion of my life (laughs) and but the but the young lady who they paired me with for this summer romance she was a regular on the show was the whole summer was a build-up to her first kiss to the character's first kiss right and right and according to her father it was also her first kiss oh my god yeah so it was a very i mean i uh it, it made me I don't know. I, I, I was, I was, I was uncomfortable with it. I mean, for a lot of reasons. I just, uh, it, I understand. It was just a strange. I mean, not a bad first kiss for her story, but um, it is. It was strange. I mean, it wasn't. I also have a strange audition story about you know that kind of thing. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager. Are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. 
It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I had to audition. I think I've told this story before, but I had to audition for it. It was a got chocolate milk ad. They were doing got chocolate milk instead of got milk. So they brought a bunch of teenagers in. And I think it was before the soap. So I must have been like 15, 14, 15. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they would pair a girl and a boy up. And I remember everyone was waiting on two different benches. And we were all like, oh, my God, who's the person that we're going to have to do this with? Because the audition was that (laughs) one of us had to put milk in our mouth and the other one had to put chocolate syrup in their mouth. And then we had to make out and turn to the camera and go, got chocolate milk? Whoa. Look, this was 20 years ago. Let's pump the brakes on that story. You'd never do that now. Oh, my God. You have, we have... uh, intimacy coordinators for uh for 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 that i mean that that's like a this up there's a full-time job for that wow that's and and you were all teenagers right yeah and so there was like a sort of teenage innocence about it there was nothing there was not i mean in retrospect i'm like oh my god i can't believe but there was also i think for and i'd be curious if anyone else has a memory of auditioning for this i haven't heard anyone talk about it but there was a little bit of like, oh my God, I got to kiss a boy or kiss a girl, I think a little bit. Um, but very strange audition. That's pretty weird. Now, did they yeah. use the chocolate and the milk in the audition? Yes. Wow. Wow. Mind blown. Mind Yeah, they gave us blown. like a little cup of milk or a little cup of chocolate syrup. Did you um, get the part? I did not, and I never saw the ads run. Maybe they figured yeah. out the audition process that it was way too weird. Uh, yeah, I think somebody, I think somebody looked at that and said, "Are you out of your mind?" Yeah, <laughs> they were like, "It's a great idea in concept, but then once we actually saw it really happen, right. no, we're not going to do it." 
we're not doing that. I don't think so. I'm I, actually I'm going to do it, but it, later on um, tomorrow, right yes. after Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going to try that and see. Oh, if, that'll be great. See if you can. You guys will make, have a great time. <laughs> make chocolate milk that way. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know you've probably talked about this at not well. First, before we get into White Lotus, I want to ask you. I was I was looking at your uh, resume, and I have to say that I have never seen Chainsaw Massacre in three D. Mm. Was that which so not, what number was you. that? What number was that? I don't know. Um, or is it the only three D? Is they they made a lot of three Ds? No, they only made one three D. Okay. Um, yeah, I I mean, with all due respect to everyone involved and myself, it was it was quite a um, it was look. I had a blast. It was a hard experience. The movie made a little money at the box office, but um, my husband actually produced the Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Biel, and I, I think I would recommend that one over mine. <laughs> That's very nice of you. <laughs> So I'm supporting hey, my husband. That's great. But I had a great time, and I loved everyone I met on that on that movie. Now, do you, now, uh, so if if you, I, I always I always wondered this about 3D movies. They really only work in 3D, obviously, if you're in the theater, right? You can't you can't get the little red and 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 blue glasses and watch them at home. Yeah, I mean, I think it, there was this period of time. I don't. I mean, I don't know what your experience was with this, but I was the types of movies I was doing at the time, there was like maybe a two or three, maybe four year period where they were really like 3D seemed to be the future. Like everything wanted, they were doing mm -hmm. a regular version and a 3D version. And the issue was, are you going to shoot it in 3D or convert it afterwards? Huh. And th and Texas Chainsaw was one that we shot on 3D cameras, which the technology wasn't as advanced. So we were shooting in summer in, um, in Louisiana and the cameras would overheat and there were issues with that. And then wow. there were other movies. I remember them discussing they were going to convert it. Um, and it didn't really pick up like the, the glasses yeah. sort of hurt every, it hurt my eyes a little bit, but it it's didn't. It's like smell-o-vision. Yeah. Never really took off. No. I saw, that was one of the first, I'm, I'm a horror buff. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised I never seen the, your Texas Chainsaw, but I mean, do they, uh, when I was a kid, I remember very well uh, lying about my age in order that I, to to get into uh, Vincent Price in House of Wax in 3D, and it was one of the first scary movies. Probably the movie's not that scary if you looked at it now, but it was also the first 3D movie that I'd ever seen. And it it kind of like what they did back then, which I'm sure was not the case with your film was it if i remember correctly the film kind of went along for a while and was in 2d and then all of a sudden they'd get to a certain scene like smoke or whatever they thought and then that would be just like a month they're like maybe only three or four moments in the whole thing where it actually was full-on 3d because it was kind of I like can get i think it was too expensive that. right uh -huh. and i think then it, you get to rest your eyes a little bit and then you get that moment that you're waiting for where you're like whoa that's so cool um I actually prefer that idea. That's really cool. But yeah, the whole the whole thing being in 3D, I guess it's cool you get to see the chainsaw come at you and uh -huh, right, um, sure, yeah, yeah. 
it's a cool part that I got to be in a, like a couple of movies that I, they, you know, tried this 3D thing. So I, I, oh, yeah. what were the other movies? You had more 3D? There either? was another one that I think was converted to 3D. And then when there were 3D, there were theaters that would show it in 3D, but the majority would be 2D. Um, got you. I, I forget which, I actually forget which ones now that was. I don't, uh -huh. I think San Andreas may have done it. Uh -huh. I don't really remember. Okay. But, um, Texas Chainsaw was the only one I shot on 3D cameras. Do you think, uh, you mentioned earlier that you're in New York, um, and I moved to New York when I was 17 and still live in New York. Uh, do you think that it has informed you as an actor, um, as a person, and, and if so, in, in what way? Um... You know, I when I first moved to L.A., I was 23 and everyone I would take all these general meetings. And I remember everyone being like, where are you from? And being totally shocked when I said I was from New York City. Well, um, well you talk like this, like, hey, what are you doing? Why, why can yeah, you sound like I, that guy? Yeah, I was quite timid and polite. And I think people thought I was going to come in and be like, hey, put me in a movie or whatever. <laughs> right, um, yeah. And so I think that the ways that it made me tough are not like i think it i mean you grow up a little bit faster the sure. um i was so devoted to and i had access to all i don't think i'd be an act i mean the acting classes i was able the teachers and the people i got to meet and the things i got to learn were so amazing and it gave me this incredible freedom at a really young age to be able to access anything that i needed to access so I got it in my head I was going to be an actor. And that wasn't really what, you know, I don't... Were your family you know, like, actors? Were there artists and actors in your family? Uh, my parents are lawyers. So lawyers, there's, an, okay. there's an art to that, I think. Sure. But, yeah. um, but no. And I, you know, I don't think that would have been my path. I think I was being steered in a different direction or by not mm -hmm. just my parents. I, it was sort of everything. Um, so the best thing about it was it made me very independent living in New York and, and I could just pick up the phone and call and book an acting class and have access to all these amazing things and really figure out what it was I wanted to do at a young age. Um, even though like acting, it seemed like actors were made in a lab, like movie stars were made in a lab and it, you know, wasn't really, but I, I, I just sort of, um, was able to uh to figure it out so you were in la and then you moved back to new york you grew up in new york then you moved to la then you came back or, or you're back and forth? i'm still living in la that's where i paid oh my you're taxes. living in la we oh, got okay. this place okay. because you know my my husband's also from from well he's from long island um my mom's out here and it just made sense for to have a place so we go back and forth Great. um but la is like our main main place that's 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 awesome. It took me a long time to get used to L.A. and uh, now I really love it. But I was I was. It took me many many years of of saying no no. It's not for me. It's not for me. It's not for me. But it was just some kind of a idea that I had about it or something. I don't know. But but uh, do you have a, how long was your stretch in L.A.? 
Uh, I've never lived in LA. I mean, I, okay. I, I'm, I'm sort of like the opposite of you. We finally got a place so that we wouldn't have to stay in hotels. But, right. but uh, yeah. But you know, exactly. when you add it all up between, uh, you know, the house, rented houses and, and uh, hotels and, and the years of, you know, working out there, I, I would say I've spent years and years of my life cumulatively in LA. But my kids were, were my, my wife grew up in, in, in uh, Manhattan, as, as you know, and my kids were raised in, in New York. Both of them live in LA, by the way. Now that they've Man. they've both made the switch, you know, I want to talk a little bit. I mean, I know you've probably talked ad nauseum about White Lotus, and I know that it's also a little weird, probably because now it's on and it's like a show that you're you're not on. But what fascinates me is you've been doing great work for a while, and probably were well known. White Lotus was one of those things that just kind of like like snapped everybody into the zeitgeist kind of thing. Like that's a different sort of uh, uh, feeling. And especially with us coastal elites, like everybody was watching that show and everybody was super um, impressed with you and with that character and with the complexities of of that show but also of 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 her and and of the relationship so like aside putting the industry aside um is it is it different the way that people start to relate to you when they when they see you or or even family friends um the things that they want to talk about because that was such a uh like just kind of sort of came out of nowhere in a way you know you are absolutely right. I um, I did have, I I was at for a long time, and I've been doing this for a very long time. I was, um, I was, you know, I'd be like, but I, you know, I've been in these movies that millions of people have seen, and I have 15 million followers on Instagram, and I know I can act. I'm ready, and I feel good about where I'm at, and I've been doing the work, and I wouldn't. Um, the I felt like I you know I wasn't really being considered for certain types of roles and I wasn't um getting auditions for certain things or but I just sort of kept plowing away and saying you know if they won't see me I'll put something on tape and and I always I always had hope but I also love what I do so much I was happy that I was a working actress and and all of that and then White Lotus happened during the pandemic and it's funny because like you get so obsessed with something and you're like so focused on it and on achieving this certain goal. And the goal for me was I want to do certain types of work. I have an idea of the characters I want to play and the different uh, the different types of people I want to work with. And I and the oppor- I want to have more opportunity. Um, and then during the pandemic, I kind of was focused on other things and let that all go. And then put this audition in a tape for the, for white lotus and read for mike and then got it and then it was just it was like the thing i had been waiting for but i hadn't um i wasn't expecting it at all and yeah it did change it did change the opportunities i have and the way people see me for sure and it was exactly i mean it just goes to show you this is a tough business and and i just i've always felt so grateful and the fact that i was able to show people that I could do something different is is awesome well you definitely did and you also bring up an f- interesting point about this business that um 
is is hard to explain, and that is that you know you hear a lot of stories about how uh, people you know went in, climbed over the studio gate, dropped off a tape, you know, did a did you know fought their way in or had a career plan or whatever, and sometimes these things just kind of drop out of the sky. It's like uh, every once in a while, you know, there'll be something that'll, that'll come down the pike and you go, wow, I I thought uh, this wasn't in my plan, but this is like super cool. Uh, So, I mean, I think career planning sometimes can be a little bit of an oxymoron, except for the idea that you love it, which you said, and that you're going to hang in, you know, that you're going to hang in through the uh the slings and arrows of which we both know there are many mm-hmm. uh, yep i want to yeah i want to ask you about uh on our sleeves um you know what what we're doing here on this podcast is is talking to cool people like you f- famous people celebrities across all kinds of uh, uh different um, uh creative arts and sports and music um who also have something that they're passionate about and, and have you know some kind of causes that mean so often uh people kind of look at us as overpaid buffoons who really don't you know care that much about the world and so i I just trying to was hoping to kind of highlight some people that actually do and uh so you're uh connected to this organization on our sleeves so i just wanted to ask you about about that yeah so on our sleeves and i've just started working with them they um I believe they were founded in 2018. So they're, they are, um, this incredibly, um, they're, they're full of excitement and passion for building the, what they're doing, um, getting word out and, um, what they're doing is very relevant. And I think also something that was needed even before the pandemic, but now there's more focus on mental health care and especially for children. And they sort of saw this, this hole in, mental health care for prevention when you're very young for young children mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. you get to the point where it becomes more serious um how do you it's and it's also i really see it as helping adults as well talk to children how do you talk to children how do you support them if they can't have support at in the home in the home how can you help support educational facilities and schools um and how you talk to children and teach them to communicate, deal with their emotions. Um, Because I think a lot of the time you'll have people in positions of power who are dealing with kids with problems and they don't know how to recognize the issues or how to talk to them about it or um, how to help. And when you're struggling and you want to help, this is an organization that you can call and get free resources um, to um, help support um conversation with kids help sort of identify issues a whole slew of things and um i just thought that was really brilliant and someone from the organization said you know when when she was a kid it was like you know stop your crying or i'll give you something to cry about kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's not that parents didn't love their kids or wanted they just had a different way of 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 disciplining or communicating or dealing with their own stuff. Um, And now, you know, it's like how many times as a kid did someone sit you down and say, um, calm your body, how are you feeling? 
What's a better way to ask for that? All these different ways of communicating that help sort of mitigate, I think, anxiety and depression as you grow up. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are inspired by today's episode, please join us in supporting SixDegrees.org by texting the word BACON to 707070. Your gift empowers us to continue to produce programs that highlight the incredible work of everyday heroes, while also enabling us to provide essential resources to those that need it the most. Once again, text B-A-C-O-N 
to 707070 or visit 6 to learn more. Well, speaking of people that work there, I want to bring out Dr. Ariana Howitt, the clinical director of On Our Sleeves. Thanks for coming on to the podcast with us. Um, Alex was explaining some of what you do. How did the two of you find each other? Uh, how, how did this relationship begin? Oh, that's a great question. Joel Goldman. Joel connected us. So um, Joel joined the On Our Sleeves team this year, and he's really been instrumental in connecting us to people like Alex. And Alex and I met through Instagram live uh, when we talked about the topic of bullying. And so uh-huh. it was really cool to meet Alex and talk about the impacts of bullying and, and mental health in children. And what is your what is your history, uh, Doctor Howard? Uh, what 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 what? How did you um, get? Well, first off, what kind of doctor are you? <laughs> sure. So I'm a pediatric psychologist. Uh-huh. I work in primary care, so it's a, a unique role in that I get to be in the office of pediatrician. And so when families come to their doctor to take their kid for their physical, their well visits, mm-hmm. any questions they have about their development, behavior, mental health. I'm there and I see them that day, uh, which in a time right now where we know there's long wait lists and and access is difficult to mental health professionals, it's really cool to be able to meet families when the question arises. And I joined the Honor Sleeves team in January. So my role as clinical director is making sure that all the resources we are putting out there are based on science and evidence and the things that we know to really help children in their mental health. And... And was there something in your life that specifically uh, sent you down this path, both of becoming a, a, a pediatrician, but also of, of, of medicine, and then working with children, and then more specifically with mental health within that? Within that, I mean, did you? Uh, what, what's your? How do you feel personally about the work that you do? Yeah, it's interesting because I recently had someone ask me, like, when did you decide to to become a psychologist? And at, I don't know. I I started. Mm-hmm right away in undergrad as a psychology and kind of followed along. But where I am right now in terms of working in primary care, working with On Our Sleeves, really, um, I'm I'm an immigrant. I moved to the U.S. when I was in high school. And um, that impacted my mental health to be in the middle of high school and move to a brand new country and figuring out where I fit. And so Uh it's really important for me to get the information to the people that needed the most. And in my training, I realized, you know, as psychologists, we're publishing in peer-reviewed journals and going to these academic conferences, but we're preaching to the choir. We're talking to other people in the field. Mm -hmm. And so On Our Sleeves was exciting to me because it allows us to talk to the community, talk to the parents, the teachers, the coaches, and that's the people that need to hear the information. So it was a a very easy decision. And explain to me what the what what's your description of the mission of On Our Sleeves? Sure. So we really, our goal is to get the free resources that we create to every community in the U.S. And we mean community as the diverse communities that need our resources, but also the kind of communities, the adults that that reach kids. So again, the schools, the teachers, the coaches, the families 
and the neighbors, really, if you're an adult with a child in your life, we want to get these resources to you and help you support the mental health of the children in your life. That's awesome. That sounds like really good good work. Um, are there any specific uh, initiatives that that uh, that you can um, uh, explain to us that are happening right now? Sure. So right now we launched in May. We launched Operation and Conversation. And that has been really fun because it's been all about getting people, adults again, to talk to the children in their lives, building the habits of conversation with kids and not just waiting till you're worried about them, but really doing it every day Mm -hmm. so that it builds a healthy relationship with the kids. It's normal to talk to each other. And that way, if you are ever worried, it doesn't feel awkward to bring it up. And so we have resources. Oh, go ahead. Is it a guidebook? I mean, uh, or a, or a, or a video, or a, how do you? I mean, I, I want that. Yeah. <laughs> so on our website at onoursleeves.org, we've got kind of a step by step. First, how to start the conversation. Then, how do I react? How do I keep it going? How do I respond in a way that feels good to the child? Mm-hmm. And then, if I do have concerns, how do I set boundaries or give advice in a way that they'll listen? Um, we also have these fun conversation starters that Alex actually was the the drive behind us really putting them out there. And so on our website, you can get a fun little deck that that you can use at dinner time, for example, with a lot of different questions to ask children to get them talking. You know, uh, it's funny you mentioned dinner. We That was something that we really pounded the table on, which was we're having dinner together and there will be no devices. I mean, although my kids were actually pre- uh, where we're at right now, you know, I mean, th- th- they were young enough so that it wasn't a, a part of their lives. But my wife and I did. Uh, we'd put them down and we would have conversations. And it didn't even, it wasn't even a question that, that it has to necessarily be heavy. Sometimes it was, but but just, you know, just to be able to talk. But let me ask you something, Alex. You know, I think about, you're a little a little bit older than, um, so than my kid. Um, you know, but I think about, this generation, your generation. And yeah, there was some stuff going on in the world for sure uh, that was super traumatic when I was a, a kid. Um, and, you know, growing up in the in a city where there was, uh, you know, violence and, and uh, you know, looking at the, at the Vietnam War, for instance, from a distance, um, not to mention, you know, people have individual trauma that happens uh with with their own lives and their family situations or or uh you know the trauma that comes from income insecurity or food insecurity but starting with 9-11 it just seems like this generation has just had one really tough thing after another to deal with and right up to now and i think about those kids who are, you know, my, my, my kids were, were old enough and even for them it was traumatic, but just to be right, you know, if you're eight or 13 and the pandemic hits and your life just shuts down in such a profound way, I, I, I don't know, I just feel like there's so many, so many more challenges to our emotional stability and to children's emotional stability than there used to be. 
Yes, I agree with that. And I also think, you know, the obvious one, too, is the Internet and the accessibility to bullying. And um, there's amazing. I mean, the, the positive thing about it is you have access to information and all that. But then that for a child who is not emotionally mature enough, it, they're almost being forced to become kids are almost becoming forced to become more emotionally mature than they should be for their age because of what they mm. have to deal with mm. and it's so not, not let them be they can't be kids for for very long i i i mean i see it in i just think that the things that they have to deal with with the internet and with mm -hmm. obviously yeah. the information that's coming the global warming um news and this constant doomsday sort of with no one taking action there's a lot of that and i think it's Look, there have been very difficult times for people, and there are people who, like you said, have all kinds of uh, personal trauma. And but it does force kids to to learn how to process. They have to learn how to process information and have these bigger discussions at an earlier age than maybe they they would normally. So it's a tough thing, and I think adults are navigating that, and also this entire generation is our we're raising kids in a world that's so different than how we were raised we didn't have this yeah. kind of thing we didn't have instagram we don't we can't really relate i don't think you can understand exactly what's going on so there's you know you want to set the next generation up for for success in raising mm. the next generation yes right right right, right. Um, yeah. and they may have better understanding of knows how the world will change but a lot of it is so baffling i can't even imagine um you know my stepkids dealing with um with the internet the way that they do already at you know a young age and they're not even teenagers yet so um i just think it's it's very important to sort of figure out how can we how can we teach kids to process this information differently and learn how to be kinder and and sort of go against their innate instincts as kids to be a little bit mean. Like, I don't know why it's sort of human nature or something as you figure out social power constructs or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We're just talking about bullying, but um, it can get out of control too quickly. So you have to teach kids um, how to how to think about these things differently. Yeah, sure. I think I'm sure Dr. Howitt has more insight into this. Well, Dr. Howitt, do you have um a, a uh, have you seen an increased need for this kind of work since since the pandemic, or at least over the last few years? I mean, school shootings, et cetera. Absolutely. I mean, I think what's hard is that even before the pandemic, the CDC released a study between 2009 and 2019, so right before the pandemic. We were already seeing an increase in depression, hopelessness, suicidal thoughts and behaviors. And then the pandemic happened and it it absolutely made that worse. But we were already trending towards that crisis. Hmm. And and it's a lot of factors. It's everything you all are talking about, right? It, it's growing up is hard and kids are experiencing stressors while trying to find their identity. And then they're accessing this information. And their brain isn't developed. I mean, our brains don't fully develop till we're 25. So how do we truly comprehend what we're reading, what we're being exposed to if, if our brain can't truly do that? Um, so 
yeah, parenting and family relationships and social connections is what helps it. That's what gets children through is being able to have those healthy conversations with their family members to help them understand what they're consuming. Well, this is fantastic, this work that you guys are doing. Um, can you uh, please tell us how people can get involved with On Our Sleeves, uh, wh whether it's, um, uh, you know, volunteering, donating, what, 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 how, how can people help out? Yeah, so people can access all of our resources for free at onoursleeves.org. You want to uh, advocate you there we have a whole section on advocacy how do you advocate mm. how do you talk about mental health how do you talk about it in the workplace and your neighborhoods um and then you can follow us on our socials and spread the word spread the message of of what we're doing and our resources we want to reach as many people as possible and then of course we are free. So if you would like to donate, we always appreciate that because that's the only way that we can stay free and make sure that anyone can access our, our resources. Well, thank you. You've both been very, very generous um, to come on and, and talk about this. Alex, maybe we'll you know work together someday. You never know. And uh, Dr. Howitt, I, I love the work that you're doing, both of you. So thank you, thank you guys so much for for being here, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. See you down the road. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Six Degree. Okay, so if you want to learn more about On Our Sleeves and all the work that they're up to, head straight to their website onoursleeves.org on our sleeves.org plus you can find all the links in our show notes i know i've said this before but if you like what you hear make sure you subscribe to the show and tune in to the rest of our episodes you can find six degrees with kevin bacon on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts see you next time Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.